We're out of the rains now, aren't we? That is, uh, we're done with uh, San Diego winter. Isn't that great? That's it. Two weeks of rain, that's it. We're done, right? And all of us were saying, oh man, it's so cold. It's 59 degrees. But uh, I think we're done with San Diego winter. Why don't you turn with me to Exodus chapter 29. If you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 29. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And why don't we pray? Father, we... <coughs> we come together in this time. It's such a sweet time to be with your people, to sing of your son, to sing of his glory, to sing of his beauty. I rejoice. Those songs that we're singing, I rejoice in my Redeemer. We sing of his glory. We have seen of this Christ. He who was promised in the Old Testament. He who is proclaimed in the new. And we pray, Father, that as believers, if we are here, that our hearts would leave this Sunday full of Christ. And if those who are here who don't know you, I pray, that our questions, their questions would be answered. That misconceptions of who God is and of who Christ is would be clarified in the scriptures. That they would come to know this saving faith, this wonderful Christ who gave his life for his people. We pray, Lord, would you, would you do that this Sunday? Would you help us to understand your word? In Jesus' name. Amen. As you know, um, on the first Sunday of every month, we preach on topics concerning the communion or the Lord's Supper or the atonement, we would call, substitutionary atonement. That is the Christian teaching that Christ died in the stead for sinners, that his righteousness on the cross if we come to faith in him, his righteousness is placed upon us. Our sins are placed upon him. And we have been declared righteous because, not because of anything we've done, but because of the righteousness of Christ. And what I would like to talk about is how that there's this continuation of the shadows in the Old Testament and the realities in the New Testament. So the, the title of this sermon is called Eat the Sacrifice. Eat the Sacrifice. I feel blessed when I'm invited somewhere, or I know you are as well. The table is set. You come in sometimes, like someone lit a candle, and the smell of the fragrance is nice. The centerpiece is beautifully arranged. The flickering of the candle's light dances on the walls. You're surrounded by love. People that love you, people that you love. The aroma of the food set before you foretells of a very near and future satisfaction. I'm about to get fed, is what you say, right? So wonderful it is to be invited to anyone's table for a true dinner. And this morning, 
as a Savior sets a table for you, child of God. You as his guests, and he himself as the meal. See, unbelievers, they do not see the beauty and the joy and the satisfaction regarding this meal. The question in your mind may be, what, the, what is the big deal about this bread and this wine that we're going to partake? Or I don't get it. Why is it so special? It doesn't look special to me. It looks like a cracker and juice to me. Maybe some believers might be here today and they might think, oh, this is just another communion service, no big deal, just another Sunday. And yet, in reality, the symbols of this bread and the wine and what they represent in the body and blood of Christ is the absolute most satisfying meal that can ever pass through your lips. It is a meal that you should treasure, that you should partake of again and again and should allow your heart and mind to be totally satisfied in all that Christ is. Just as all the sacrifices in the Old Testament are shadows of the sacrifices of Christ, we look at Exodus chapter 10, 29 to plumb the depths of what it means to partake in his supper. So would you go with we need Exodus 29. I'm just going to read maybe starting in verse 25 to 33. So we get the context. But we're only really looking at verse 33. He says, You shall take them from their hands and offer them in smoke on the altar on the burnt offering for a soothing aroma before the Lord. It is an offering by fire to the Lord. Then you shall take the breast of Aaron's ram of ordination and wave it as a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be your portion... You shall consecrate the breast of the wave offering and the thigh of the heave offering, which was waved and which was offered from the ram of ordination. And from the one which for Aaron and from the ones which were for his sons, it shall be for Aaron and his sons as their portion forever from the sons of Israel. For it is a heave offering. And it shall be a heave offering from the sons of Israel from the sacrifices of their peace offering even their heave offering to the Lord. The holy garments of Aaron shall be for his sons after him, that in them they may be anointed and ordained. For seven days, the one of his sons who is priest in his stead shall put them on when he enters the tent of meeting to minister in the holy place. 31. You shall take the ram of ordination, boil its flesh in a holy place, Aaron and his son shall eat the flesh of the ram and the bread that is in the basket at the doorway of the tent of meeting. In verse 33, this is our verse of concentration. Thus they shall eat these things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. God's word is given this morning so that you would freely partake of true soul satisfaction in Christ. We sung many songs. My heart is satisfied in Christ. My heart is fed in Christ. Here, God is establishing the priesthood in the old covenant with Aaron and his descendants. And in the old covenant, there is much to glean from as we see parallels with the new 
to freely partake of true soul satisfaction in Christ, first you have to find enjoyment in the meal. Find enjoyment in the meal. How sweet it is to be with believers and to share a meal together. And how wonderful it is that the Savior has given us a reminder by mirroring the ironic priesthood and setting the table now as Christ is our meal. Now you may think right now, let's eat. And I would agree. The food is for the eating. Shouldn't overcomplicate things, right? But in the Old Testament, the sacrifices and the priests who partook of the sacrifices, they're taking of the shadows of Christ. And this is very, very clear. In the New Testament, it is the explicit ultimate sacrifice of Christ who by his body and his blood made an atonement for his people. If you recall, let me just read this for you. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14. Hebrews, if you're ever confused about the Old Testament, Hebrews is the great transition book. But Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 to 14 says, And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And so here's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He's saying that in the old covenant, there was these priests set up by the Aaronic priesthood, by God himself, who would offer sacrifices and it would happen yearly, all the time, especially on the Day of Atonement, the Yom Kippur. And what that did was it set up a picture for the people of God to understand that there, for forgiveness of sins, there needed to be blood. For forgiveness of sins, someone innocent, something innocent needed to be shed. But in the hearts of the priests and the hearts of the people, guilt would always remain as they did this outward expression. The writer of Hebrews knows that this is what's happening. And he looks at the text and he looks at what Christ has done. And he says, now Christ has offered in verse 12 of Hebrews 10, Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for all sins. And he sat down at the right hand of God. Much can be preached about that. So he sets this connection between the priesthood and what Christ has done. And now we see, in other words, the, the ram that is foreshadowed is our substitute for sins, where Christ is our substitute. Notice in, in, in Exodus 29, verses 10 and 19. Look at verse 10. Then you shall bring the bull before the tent of meeting, and Aaron and his sons shall lay their hands on the head of the bull. Notice verse 19, they, they say it again. Then you shall take the other ram and Aaron, and the son shall lay their hands on the head of the ram. And what that's signifying to the people is that this should be happening to us. Because of our unfaithfulness to God. Because of our, we promised God that we would follow him, and we have sinned against him. We've not believed his promises we chase after idols in our heart that we allow to run rampant in our lives. 
And so we place our hands upon this ram as a mediator, saying that our sins will be placed upon this animal, this innocent animal that did not sin. And as we do this, this is a symbol of what's going to happen in the future. That this innocent Christ would come down, die for the sins of his people, but in a sense we would be placing our hands on him as well. Casting our sins upon him, identifying with this, this Christ so that his righteous blood, his righteousness would be put upon us. And that's what exactly what's happening in this picture of Exodus chapter 29. And while placing your hands on the sacrifice is an outward act, notice in verse 33 it says, Thus they shall eat. This eating is more personal. It's an inward participation. It's no longer an outward participation. It's an inward partation. If you are to be saved, if you are not yet saved, excuse me, you can't enjoy this meal. You've not placed your hand upon that sacrifice. You've not said, this is my Christ. This is the one who has died for me and, and died for my sins. If you take the elements of bread and wine and yet you reject in your heart the person whom they symbolize, it's better not to take it, but rather be reconciled with the host in the forgiveness he affords and then come to the table. Repent and believe in Christ, then come. The new birth in Christ begins your new life and the communion in Christ sustains it. It's not the other way around. Now, how do you enjoy this meal First, there must be a participation. There must be a participation. You notice, he says, they shall eat. We would usually just kind of gloss over that. What does that mean? But indeed, eating is very personal, isn't it? I'm going to say some obvious things. No one can eat for you. Correct? No one could eat for you. No one could eat or drink for you. The bread goes through your mouth, down your throat, to your stomach to build you up and to nourish you, to be a part of you. When you partake of Christ, you must do this yourself. My friend, my friend, young people, if your parents are saved, you are not going to be saved because of your parents' faith. You're not going to be changed because of what your parents are doing, but because of what mom is doing. Your faith is your faith. When you partake of Christ, you have to do it yourself. You have to eat him by faith. Every communion and fellowship with him. This can't be done by your friends or your family. No one can take your place. It's got to be you. Personally you, distinctly you, directly you. Eat. You receive the Lord yourself, only for yourself, no one else, so that this life will be yours, and yours his. And the bread becomes assimilated in your body as a symbol of spiritual reality that Christ be assimilated to you. And by the way, just to say this, I know Jeremy's going to go over this. There is nothing mystical in the cracker and in the juice. Or we would call the bread and the wine. There's nothing mystical. They're simply symbols of a greater reality. This is what Jesus has said. Do this in remembrance of me. Your participation is personal. Your participation is inward. 
It's inward. Notice when you eat of Christ, you receive him with your heart and your spirit. He is not a Christ still stuck on a cross. But he is one who's on his throne on high. And now he reigns presently in your heart as a reality. Didn't Paul say in Galatians 2.20, if you remember the verse, repeat with me, I have been crucified with Christ. What is it? It is no longer I who live. Please, what? Christ lives in me. Oh, away with religion that is simply external. This Christ will not have that. He will not have a faith that is someone else's. He will not have a faith that is not personal. He will not have a faith that is not your heart, your own heart, your own spirit. He will not have a faith that is simply nominal, yet his life is not there. It is inward. Your participation is personal, it's inward. Your participation is active. Forgive me for saying that which is simple, but it's not like, food is not like air that is just simply around you. Kind of like when the Marines, they have to, you have to correct me, when they have this gas training, they have to take off their mask, is that right? And then it just, you don't have to do anything, it just seeps in, and then I start crying. and You don't have to do anything. It just seeps in, correct? Or maybe, or maybe you fall into something and oil starts to penetrate into your flesh. And it, there's no active energy exerted. But eating of Christ is active. You don't eat when you're asleep. Well, most of you don't eat when you're asleep, right? <laughs> Sleep eat? I've never heard of that. You eat with the full purpose of ingesting what is before you. And so it is with Christ. You must eat upon him with an exercise of your will and your strength in your being. That when you eat, it's because you feel a need. And when it is done, you have this sense of satisfaction. The nearness of his presence is your satisfaction. And just like the physical food, you eat because you're hungry and the food satisfies. Spiritually speaking, once you become a believer by trusting in the person and work of Christ and repent from your sins and are born again, you can feast immediately. Amen. Sometimes my... <laughs> we're a wrestling family. That's just... Sorry, that's what we do. Right. Sometimes my son has to cut weight, and he's like, Dad, I feel weak. I feel weak. I cut weight for this weight class. Oh, man. Did you know in Christ you never have to cut weight? Just, just feast on him. Be satisfied. Yeah, and to belabor the point, your participation is satisfying. My friends, what a sweet satisfaction comes to those who feed on Christ. The more you feed on him, the bigger your stomach and capacity to take more of his fullness. I just want more of him, more of him. I want to be with his people. I want to read his word. 
My hopes and my dreams are in Christ and him proclaim. I want people to know him. More than anything, I want people to know him. Psalm 63 speaks of this satisfaction. Psalm 63, verse 5. My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praise with joyful lips. It's interesting how the turn of diets has, have been in the way we see how people should eat now. Before, it used to be no fat and anything. Don't eat fat. Only, veg, only eat low-fat things. And now everyone's turning to, let's eat a lot of meat and a lot of fat. You know, we should have been there before, right? But you notice how the writer of Psalms, he would say, my soul is satisfied. Your soul can't be satisfied with marrow and fatness. He's using a metaphor that that which satiates you after you have that prime rib meal on Thanksgiving, that kind of food that sticks to your bones, your spiritual self is that of Christ. You know this. You've tasted of the junk food of the world and you're sick of it. If you're a believer in Christ, you know that. And you've learned to only say, I want real food. Amen? It's personal, it's inward, it's active, it's satisfying. Not only a participation, but a real feeding on who God and Christ and the Holy Spirit and what they have done. Now, there must be this feeding, not only a participation, but there has to be this, this feeding. You notice in the verse again, he says thus, They shall eat these things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. Atonement means the payment of blood sacrifice for the reconciliation between God and man. It is the payment that satisfies the just wrath of God by the sacrifice of Christ. It is foreshadowed in the Old Testament by the temple sacrifices and accomplished once and for all in the New Testament by the Christ on the cross. So when we feed on Christ, we're actually dwelling. What does it mean to feed on Christ? We're actually dwelling on the magnificent truths of the giving of himself. What did Jesus say? Do this in what? Remembrance of me. Because we are a people prone to forget. We forget we look at our problems and we think they're bigger than what, Christ, than what Christ has done. If truly Christ has solved the problem of sin in our lives, he has solved the biggest problem. He wants you to stop on the Lord's day and remember your sins have been paid for in blood. And you want to feed on these theological truths that point to the glory and grandeur of Jesus. We feed on all that he was needed to make atonement possible. We feed. We feed on one. Number one, here's, here's just some thoughts. What do you feed on? What is the atonement? What does this point to? Number one, we feed on the Father's love to give Christ. We feed on the Father's love to give Christ. Christ, fully divine, was sent by the Father 
in his love for his glory, for his son and for sinners, sent his son to die on the cross for the sins of man. And we've heard you feast on this truth called the gospel. What is the gospel that God created all of us? We were made to glorify him. We were made to glorify him in our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. But we have all sinned and chased after our own idols that we create in our own hearts. We have chased after them. That's called sin. Anything that goes against what God desires. Anything that takes the place of God in our lives. And this sin has created a chasm that cannot be bridged. In our own efforts, in our own works, it cannot be bridged. And yet God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come and live a holy life that you could not live, to die a death that you deserved. Was resurrected and ascended. And the Bible says in this promise of the gospel that if you trust in him and him alone for your salvation and you repent of your sins... You will be saved in an instant. That's the gospel. And here as a Christian, when you come to communion, you're someone who is being reminded of this truth, of the gospel. You first trust in him. You first become saved. And then you get baptized as this initial sign telling the world, I am now a believer I am now changed. Christ has saved me. And then the Bible says you get to share in this unique meal laid out by Christ himself. Are we warm in here? You guys warm? Can you turn on the AC or is it just me sweating? It's probably just me, right? Thanks, Jeremy. Saving me. I see this. What happens when I wear a sports coat? I need to just wear a shirt. It's when I wear a sports coat, okay. But Christ, fully divine, was sent by the Father. And repeat this. Maybe you could repeat this verse for me. Most famous verse. Biggest football verse you've ever seen. For God. So loved the world. What is the proof of that love? He gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him shall not but have praise the Lord don't let that be a Sunday school verse only or a verse that's just for you know beginning Christians oh my friend brothers and sisters for God so loved the world that he gave his son imagine and dwell on that truth that the willingness of the father to give his son for a people he knew would kill him Because it was the only way to save a sinner like you and me. And to complete his promises that he would save a people. Now, feast on the Father's love to give Christ. That's, that's a good course right there. How about this course? Feast on the divinity of Christ. On the divinity of Christ. The only one who can say in John 10.30. Who knows John 10.30? I and what? 
and the Father are one. How about in John 8, before Abraham was what I am. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, right? And the Word became, verse 14, what? Flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is the Christ, brothers and sisters. The Word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. This is the uniqueness of Jesus. That's a delicious course, isn't it? How about, this? How about the next one? How about the humanity of Christ? The humanity of Christ, right? Uh, turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2 we know as the great condescension or the great humiliation, some theologians would call it. Philippians chapter 2. Notice he says in verse 5, if you're there with us following have this attitude in yourselves which was also in Christ Jesus who here it is he existed in the form of God that means he is exactly God did not regard with God with God a thing to be grasped that means he was he said for the glory of God the Father and for the salvation of his people I'm going to let that go my rights and my privileges I'm going to let it go and I'm going to go on this mission and he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man. And then he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the, even to the point of death, even death on the cross. You notice the downward travel of the Son of Man. The humility of Christ. For you. For me. Don't you love it when you have a long lost friend takes a flight to come see you because you've moved far away? Wouldn't you say that? What do you say? Thank you for coming and visiting me. You came all that way, right? There is no one no one, no one who has come farther than Christ. How about the willingness of Christ? You ever tell, I'm not trying to embarrass my kids, sorry guys. I'm not going to even give names, but you ever give chores to your kids, maybe, if, you, if you're a parent. And outwardly they do it, but inwardly they're not there. Fine, I'll take the garbage. Outwardly they do it, but inwardly they are not willing. And then we have to have a talk about their hearts, right? Because we don't want outward obedience. We're actually going for the heart. But I only give that example because... There's no unwillingness in Christ to come for you. He's not like the sa Savior who says, Fine, fine, I'll go save them. Fine.
fine, look at that scoundrel. I'll go down and go get him. You know what? The thing is like, to be quite honest, to be candid with you, I don't think any of us are like that. That God in Christ Jesus would have anything to do with us. How many times have you and I have failed him? How many times have you and I have sinned against him? How many times have you and I said, oh, I'm never going to do this again. And yet Christ, knowing all of that, not past sins, not present sins, but even your future sins, knowing all of this, your Christ came willingly. I take him. I take her. I'll go to the cross for him. I'll go to the cross for her. You would stand there and say, but do you know what they would do? Do you know of their unfaithfulness? Do you know of their sins? That's what you would say. That's what I would say. And yet Christ says, no, I will willingly lay my life for him. I will willingly lay my life for her. The psalmist in Psalm 40 exclaims this kind of delight. He says, I delight to do thy will, O God. He is not an unwilling Savior. I think some people feel that, you know. There are folks who you walk in the street and you share the gospel with them and they'll tell you up front, I've never sinned. No, I never murdered anyone. I'm, I'm okay. I don't need your gospel, right? Then there are folks who know they've sinned. They know they've made a mess of their lives. They know they've hurt relationships. They know they've, you can say whatever, stole, hated people, committed great atrocities. Yet Christ in his love came to save a people like that. Can you, can you not feast on that love? Don't tell me that that won't help you in the week. Amen. Don't tell me that won't help you in the week. You will have completion feed on the fact that Christ said on the cross it is finished completion of Christ fellowship through Christ he is not ashamed to call you his brother there is satisfaction through Christ in thy presence is pleasures forever we could dwell on this over and over but brothers and sisters what brings your heart to a healthy beat in Jesus is a dwelling on the truths dwelling on the promises dwelling on what Christ has done for you. And I will tell you, there is no Michelin-rated restaurant that can serve a better meal, a better soul-satisfying meal than the Lord Jesus Christ. When you can say, not because of me, but because of what he has done, my sins are paid. Find enjoyment in the meal. Secondly, give thanks for the invitation. Back at, 
back at um, Exodus 29. In Exodus 29, notice he says, so find enjoyment in the meal. Give thanks for the invitation. He says, Thus they shall eat these things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration. But a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. Interesting. It's interesting what God put there. They, we know from the context that we already read, are ironic priests. Not ironic, but Aaronic from Aaron. Okay? The line of Aaron. And how are we to understand this in the New Testament? Well, we go back to the verse that Manny, was it Manny or was it Nelson who read? Um, let's keep your hand here and now we go to 1 Peter chapter 2. Is the priesthood abolished? I will say yes and no. Yes, the old one is abolished. But no, now there's a new one. And here in 1 Peter chapter 2 in verses 9 and 10, Peter now calls Christians, all believers, priests. And so this is now called the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. What does that mean? It simply means that there is no separation between the uh, man and God. If you are in Christ Jesus, you have full access to God himself. There is one mediator between God and man, that is the man Christ Jesus. Now, he says, notice in chapter 2, verses 9 to 10, in reference to Christians, Peter's talking to Christians, he says... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And so God calls us priests. It's interesting. Not like the Old Testament priests, but the priesthood of all believers. And so with that comes our great responsibilities and our great privileges. As priests, there's a couple privileges of a priest. You get to offer yourself. Offer yourself to service. Offer yourself to him. Offer yourself to do what he desires. You remember in Romans chapter 12, Paul tells the Roman believers, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the what? Mercies of God that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Interesting. It's a living sacrifice, not a dying sacrifice. And so now as priests, we are living a living sacrifice, holy and, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So what Paul says in Romans chapter 12 to the believers in Rome, he is saying, now you can offer your life to him. As a priest, you have the privilege of not only offering yourself, but you have the privilege of interceding for others. 
you get to pray for others. Praying at all times for the saints. That's what Paul says to the Ephesian believers. I pray at all times for you. If Christ is in your heart, you will intercede. And you'll have compassion for others. If you are a priest, you get to teach others. And that doesn't mean you have formal seminary training or anything like that. But simply that you can read from Scripture and lead those in your influence. In your sphere of influence, wherever you're at, in your job, at your school, at your clubs. You can care for others. And as a priest, we're called to worship God. As a priest, our main task is to worship God as we will be doing that for eternity. So, how are you fully satisfied in Christ? Well, in his supper that he lays, well, we'll find enjoyment in his meal. How? By rehearsing in our minds. That's what makes you strong in your inner man, brothers and sisters, let me tell you. Rehearsing the verses, rehearsing in your mind the truths that by which Christ himself saved you. Secondly, to give thanks for this invitation that only priests are allowed to partake of. Back then it was the Aaronic priests and now it's the priesthood of believers. But I want to I share with you something that's pretty sober back in Exodus 29 as we close. We want to save some time for the supper itself. So in Exodus chapter 29, Exodus chapter 29, let me read the verse again. Verse 33. Thus they shall eat those things by which atonement was made at their ordination and consecration, but a layman shall not eat them because they are holy. And here's the last bit is to share warning for this prohibition. Share warning. There is a prohibition here. And it says here, they shall eat, that is the priests, but a layman. And really that word layman, it's probably better translated stranger. A stranger. King James trans- translates it stranger or sojourner. You can take a look at that. In Leviticus chapter, well, keep your hand here. We can go to Leviticus. Keep your hand here and turn to Leviticus chapter 22. Only the priests could eat of this meal. Only the priests. In Leviticus chapter 22, you see this uh, prohibition kind of laid out a little bit more in detail. Notice chapter 22 and verse 10. Same word, no layman or stranger, okay? And I think it's better, stranger, chapter 22, Leviticus chapter 22, verse 10, because of the modifier it has later on. No layman, however, is to eat the holy gift. A sojourner, someone who is traveling, someone who is not of the people of God. With the priest, or a hired man shall not eat of this holy gift. Okay. 
So let's go back to Exodus chapter 29. And we look back at this verse again, verse 33. Thus they shall eat these things by which atonement was made and their ordination and consecration, but a layman shall not eat them or a stranger or a sojourner or someone who is traveling shall not eat them because they are holy. Someone who is not entrusted does not trust in the sacrifice to come. That would be Exodus. So first, if you're a stranger, you cannot eat. And I'm not saying if I don't know you. That's not what I'm saying. Please understand this. What I am saying is that if you are a stranger to the things of Christ, or I'll say it another way, if you are not a Christian, if you have not trusted in Christ, if he is not your Lord and Savior, the Bible says specifically that it is for believers. In Exodus, he says, you cannot come and partake. In 1 Corinthians 11, it's obviously the context of believers. You cannot partake. Simply eating that cracker and that wine behind us does not change you, does not magically transform who you are. The change starts, and we'll talk about this later, when you come to Christ. So if you come and you do not belong to the family of God, you cannot eat. Because you don't enjoy Christ, this would simply be a cracker and juice to you. How can you take communion when you have no communion with Christ? How can you take communion when you have no communion with the body? And so the way Jeremy is going to say it and explain it a little bit more, and I, he's going to reiterate it, is anyone can take this communion if they are a believer and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and Him and Him alone. That's it. You can take it with us. I may not know you, but you can take it with us. If you truly trust in Christ, you're my brother and sister in Jesus. Second, if you are a stranger, if, if maybe you've heard the gospel all your childhood, you just never bowed the knee, or maybe you do know the gospel, you even believe the facts of the gospel, but Jesus is not your Lord. You know you're playing games. You know you're playing church, right? Does that ever happen? Does that ever happen? Absolutely. Well, we have to preach the gospel firmly and clearly because people's souls are at stake and we want them to know. Now, if you are a stranger, we don't say, get out of here. That's what people think. What we say is what Jesus says. Come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn. He's saying this. You don't have to be a stranger anymore. Not that, he's not even saying, I want you to be a friend. He's saying, if you trust in me and place your faith in me, you can become a child of God. You can be saved. And you have your place at this table all the time. 
Kids, don't you love it when dad, when dad's in charge of getting to go? Take out? Yeah, you guys are, right? Because when dad gets takeout, he's going to get something meaty, right? He's going to get a lot of food. And you're like, dad, can we get this? Yeah. Can we get this? Absolutely. Can we get this? Yeah. Get it. Get it. Why? Because dad wants you to be fully satisfied in your meals, right? Brothers and sisters, friends, if you don't know Christ, come to this table. Have your sins forgiven first. Be born again first. Be alive first by trusting and repenting. And then secondly, take your first meal. Find enjoyment in the meal. Give thanks for the invitation. And share warning for the prohibition. There is a warning, but it's not a warning that says, I never want to see you. It's a warning of grace. Turn to Christ while there is time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your goodness and your graciousness. Oh, Lord, we pray. Would we be satisfied in Christ, all of us, those who know you and those who have not yet come to know you, may they find their true joy and satisfaction because their sins have been forgiven. They have been washed clean. They can, wa- they can go to sleep tonight with no guilt because you've taken it all away. You've seen what they have done in the secret room. And God, you have washed that away. And we thank you. Help us to sing. Help us to feast on you and to dwell on the truths that you have taught us about your son. In Jesus' name, amen.